Hello out there. Welcome to episode 52 of the Sock Takes Pod. We're powered by Roughneck Scarves. I'm your host, Kevin Johnston. We just got a two-man crew tonight. Myself and Sock Takes staff writer, the doctor of D2, Napoon Chopra. How's it going, Napoon? What's going on? I uh, I prefer to be called Napoon Chopra PhD uh, because it really <laughs> gets on the nerves of people who uh, don't like the fact that how dare you? I know. How you elitist I? snob, you. I am such a dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, speaking of Doctor of D2, why don't we yeah. start real quick with that big news out of Louisville today, um, slash yeah. Orlando, uh, Napoon. What can you tell us about that situation? Massive news. I think we've uh, known um, that that this might be on the horizon. Um, what we're talking about here is, of course, James O'Connor uh, the head coach of Louisville City, who's taken them to a final. Uh, he has won a championship, a USL championship, and was on on uh, route to take them to playoffs again this year. He is going to be the next head coach of Orlando City uh, SC, soccer club. A news story that was first broken by Athletic Soccer, which is a fantastic website, uh, specifically in this case uh, by... Uh, wait, who, who broke... This, Paul Tenorio broke the story. This uh, yeah. this particular situation, um, terrific for James O'Connor. I think he has earned that. Uh, I've interviewed him once or twice, and he's a very passionate, uh, intelligent um, coach. And uh, I mean, you and I have been in the press box with people that have worked with James O'Connor, and we've only heard glowing words about him, KJ. So uh, that's my initial thought: is that he's earned it. Uh, I think it's a little more complicated uh, now with the future of Louisville City. Yeah, and I completely agree with you. I saw you were uh, sharing some positive sentiments about the hire on Twitter and definitely second that. I think this is a great hire by uh, Orlando City. You know, they they could have gotten kind of um, an experienced MLS coach, but, you know, one with kind of a, a, a shaky track record or maybe a track record of inconsistency to some extent. So I love the move. Um, I'm kind of a, a mini Orlando City fan. I got a bunch of family down there. I've been to like two games live, I think. So um, somewhat of a bandwagon uh, City fan. <clears throat> but um, yeah, I definitely love the move from their standpoint. And props to Louisville. Um, even beyond O'Connor himself, you know, just the, the, the whole organization, which O'Connor had a large, uh, a huge part of growing himself. But just shout out to the entire organization, you know, to um, produce a system, uh, win a title, carry over the success, um, continue to dominate this year. And he's earned it. O'Connor has absolutely earned this spot. So definitely shout out to James O'Connor. Congrats on the move. Um, I think that reflects well on the USL as a whole, since, you know, a lot of our listeners are Indy 11 fans. Got a lot of USL heads that um, check us out. So um, props to the USL just for, you know, producing um, another. Um, and also shout out to um, our boy out in Portland. Uh, I know you're a huge fan of what um, Gio Savarese has been doing out there at Nipun as well. So, um, yeah, the Division Two uh, has been producing a lot of quality MLS coaches, and I think it's a great hire. I'll stop rambling because we got plenty of World Cup to talk about. But but um, yeah. very quickly, if, you, if you'll indulge me for a second, I think uh, we should very briefly, maybe in a minute, talk about the fact that this leaves Louisville City in an interesting position now because they've lost their uh, club president in the last year as well. That was Livingston. They've uh, lost their 
uh, PR guy, uh, Jonathan Littner, was replaced by Scott Stewart, and now they've lost their head coach. So there is a little bit of a turnover of stability, and when you put that in the lens of all the stuff that's happening with the new stadium and murmurs about MLS, uh, it's an interesting point for Louisville City because their big selling point has been that they have been a juggernaut that is on the pitch and has been building very carefully off of the pitch. And while the latter is going, is clearly true, we don't know what happens with that former claim now uh, in the absence of clarity in terms of who their next head coach is. That's a great point because as much as I just harped on myself how, you know, they, they share the, the responsibility of that success, you know, O'Connor and the organization, it'll be interesting to see um, I mean, I don't think anyone on the planet would say it's a done deal that the next coach is going to just, you know, automatically kill it as much as O'Connor. Exactly. Did. So he's coming, whoever it is, um, he or she is coming into a great situation and it will probably be able to replicate the success. But um, who knows if they'll be quite the machine. So I think it's a, the organizations at, at a crossroads. The club has to make a, a smart hire here. And I think they will, and I think they'll continue the test. Like even if they make a, a mediocre or bad hire, um, you know, so to so to speak, I still don't think that you know they're not going to flame out of the playoffs or anything. But I'm talking about you know two three years on down the road. Um, it's definitely kind of a crossroads for the club, and uh, if they knock it out of the park with this hire, um, just look for that team to continue to kind of looks like they're growing into a dynasty. I hate to use that word, but um, just got a great thing going down there in Louisville. So moving on to Poon. Let's talk 2018 World Cup. The group phase just wrapped up. Tons of drama, tons of highlights, tons of um, emotional overload, tons of everything. And the first thing I want to jump into, because I saw you talking about it on Nippon, was the absolute heartbreak that saw Japan advance yeah. over Senegal by the fair play rule. So I'll let you kind of explain what that is, Nippon. But, man, it's just... It's so unbelievable. They both had four points, both had four goals for, yeah. four, four goals against, drawed when they played each other. It just, it, it's completely insane. But um, anyway, why don't you pick it up from there, Nipun? And um, after you kind of explain to the listeners, what are your thoughts, you know, on, obviously, you know, it's not a controversy per se, because it's a simply sure. a rule that was on the books. But, you know, it's created a controversy or a strong opinions as to whether that should be a tiebreaker. Right. Now, that's a very well-framed question. Um, so very quickly, what, what is the rule? The rule is, uh, obviously, in a group stage like this, when you have only two teams going out and only three games being played, you're going to be almost always run into a situation where teams are level on points. So how do you break that tie? The obvious one, as we all know, everyone that watches soccer knows about goal difference, goals scored. Those ones are obvious. Uh, then according to FIFA's manual, I think this is page 49 in the FIFA uh, handbook, it goes to um, uh, a head-to-head -head, uh, tie. So in, in terms of uh, what happened with Japan and Senegal, by the way, I'm talking about it, it would be the two teams involved in, the, in, the, uh, in, this, uh, play, uh, in this tiebreaker. So in the game between Japan and Senegal, it was a 2-2 draw. The next tiebreaker becomes goals, uh, goal differential between the two teams. In this case, it doesn't matter because they've only played once. So the goal differential, will, if it's a draw, it's going to be zero. And then it becomes which team scored more goals in the tie between the two. Again, in this situation, since they've only played one time, it doesn't matter. It's always going to be the same in case of a draw. So really, uh, it comes down to the next tiebreaker, which is the financial fair play rule. Not financial fair play, sorry. The fair play rule. And uh, I... I 
off the top of my head, I don't remember how many negative points it is for yellow. I think it's minus one. And for red, it's something else. And they tabulate that, and that's what breaks the tie. And if they're still even after that, it goes to a coin toss. So what we had got to this point between Japan and Senegal was they were at the very last step uh, of anything that meant uh, that included stuff on the pitch. After this, it would have been a, literally been a coin toss to decide who went through. So now, having explained that, coming to your question, which is, is this a fair tiebreaker? Um, I think currently, yes. I think it is a fair tie. I think it is a fair tiebreaker. Well, tiebreaker. I was very disappointed by this article that ESPN wrote. Alex Shaw on e- at ESPN wrote that kind of poo-pooed the way Japan played, and it really, really irked me because. Uh, because for a variety of reasons, but ultimately I felt like he was arguing that another team wouldn't have played exactly the way Japan did. And I don't think Japan played in any way did they embarrass the World Cup, which is what he was suggesting. So saying that aside, I think it is a fair tiebreaker. I think some when I talked about this on Twitter yesterday, some people posed some decent ideas. One was uh, a shots, uh, uh, shots on goal could be a tiebreaker in the future. Someone suggested expected goal. Um, I think those are good ideas and they encourage more attacking football. But the problem, KJ, is both of those have an element of subjectivity. What I mean by that is obviously everyone understands that ex- uh, expected goals uh, is all about computer modeling. It's going to always have operator bias because a person is going to tell you what is the average value of a shot taken for a particular situation. So the more things become algorithmized, in lack of a better term, I think the less clear they become for for the average fan. So even though shots on goal and expected goals sound like a good idea, and, and I think there's some merits, I think that they would be troubling for most fans because you really wouldn't be able to tell whether what you're seeing is true or not. In the case of in these, everything I've said, all the tiebreakers so far, it's clear cut as day. Goal scored, everyone knows how many goals were scored. Shots, uh, sorry, um, even the yellow cards. Everyone knows how many yellow cards were given out. So there's no area uh, of confusion there. I think with other tiebreakers that people are suggesting, there is more subjectivity and it gets more uh, difficult. What do you think? I completely agree. You know, something's got to break the tie. Um, tell me if this was your experience playing youth soccer in Nippon, but a couple tournaments we were at, I remember one time, even more than maybe two or three times in my youth career, I witnessed at a tournament a tiebreaker where the teams would just shoot it out, you know, not even play a game prior. Just, you know, the tournament's over, every team gets their three games. Uh, usually it was, you know, you show up on like the Friday night or very early Saturday morning, two games Saturday, uh, final game of the group stage uh, Sunday morning, and then it was just like pretty much onto a final, you know, this it wasn't a huge field or anything in most tournaments, but... That's kind of how it worked. And a couple times I witnessed on Sunday morning, you know, teams play that third game, and it was just a dead heat in this situation. And all they would do is just do a, a quick shootout. And the thing is, I don't think that's a great solution by any means because I people already complain that a shootout is a terrible way to end a game, which I actually agree with that sentiment. So it's not like it's ideal because shootouts are basically just crapshoots anyway, and I can't stand like when results are determined by shootouts. But um, at the same time, it is a soccer activity. I think that would be maybe a decent way to, to end the game. But KJ, uh, what do you do? What do you do in this situation where, <clears throat> sorry, the two teams that you're talking about are playing in two cities separated by 200 miles, right? So Senegal was playing somewhere else. Japan was right. playing somewhere else. So how would you? 
deal with the shootout in that situation, yeah. right? So that's a great question. I think it, you know some discretionary budget that FIFA has should pay for the expense um, and, and the, the travel be arranged. Allow for the team that took the flight, you know, allow them a full day of recovery or whatever. However, you have to do it, but um, I don't know. Yeah, it, it does certainly poses logistical issues, especially you know the the bigger the host country, the more likely there is for that to be an issue. So yeah, that's a great question. Um, but yeah, I just think it's a great way for a soccer activity to at least be involved to determine. But uh, I think it's a decent rule. And for the most part, I pretty much agree with pretty much everything you said on it. Uh, moving right along, we got a couple Twitter questions from our good buddy, good patron of ours, Scott Grimes. He uh, actually has four questions for us. So we'll just knock these out here one by one, Napoon. First one is our feelings regarding VAR and the role it has played so far in this tournament. You want to jump on that one? Are you muted, Napoon? I think we lost Napoon, so I'll tackle this one. I think um, it's an enhancement. I am in no way, shape, or form ever anti-technology. I think technology only improves sports, not just soccer, but it's always a good decision. And they'll probably be tweaking it um, here and there. Um, in the future obviously and it'll only get better over time so i love the existence of it i'm so i'm so thrilled to see it used in the world cup and yeah. it's you know by its own admission it's not perfect and maybe it, it certainly never will be you know that's the whole point of you know that word right. conclusive to, to the exactly. nfl their challenge system oh you know basically a call's made um if you cannot completely like prove it wrong it stands you know so right. Um, that's always a good approach, I think, in every sport to take. So I love just that VAR has been incorporated. Um, and Napuna, it sounds like I think we got you back now. Are you there? Yeah, you yeah. Okay. Sorry about that. Yeah. So, you know, I was asked this question by this uh, <clears throat> gentleman who does a radio show in Omaha. And he, you know, he's not big into soccer, but he was very interested in the VAR thing because obviously it's huge in football. And, and you talked about that. I think that this has been the best usage of VAR since VAR has been introduced into the game. I think the usage of VAR in this World Cup has been phenomenal. I think it's been, it's helped. Uh, it's, I think every decision that's gone to VAR, uh, well, at least all the conclusive ones in terms of offsides, in terms of red cards, in terms of penalties, the conclusive ones have been, have a 100% accuracy rate. And there have been a few that are subjective and you're just never going to get those right. Or you're never going to make everyone happy with that decision. That's just the nature of things. So for me, I, by the way, there was a uh, I was reading on Twitter today. Um, uh, a referee from who works with FIFA did an analysis of the VAR decision, and he says uh, 99.3% of decisions made by VAR are correct. I mean, that's pretty remarkable rate. Those other 0.7% fall in those same categories as that I was talking about, which are you know people have sub. Ultimately, these are still referees making decisions. There is still subjectivity. Some refs go with the rule as being if it's if the ball strikes the hand, it's a penalty. Other refs want to see intention before they give that. So there is an element of subjectivity. And I think people who are complaining about VR, VAR, unfortunately, are the ones who want it to be like goal line technology, where it's truly binary decision making. And that's just not going to happen with soccer. So I think it's VAR has been an over overwhelming success in this in this World Cup. And question number two from Scott Grimes is 
What team has disappointed you the most in the tournament so far? Uh, disappointed? I mean, someone would, I would say Germany, right? I mean, that's the obvious one. But there's so many teams that have underperformed. So I'll say Germany because they, they ended up going out. But I think Argentina has underperformed. I think, uh, um, uh, who am I forgetting? Portugal has underperformed. I mean, they they had that awesome game against Spain, but they've their play has been pretty unremarkable. Uh, Spain has underperformed, even though. So, you know, basically, as it goes, unless you're absolutely dominating teams, you're, I'm going to think you're underperformed. I think, uh, but overall, Germany, obviously. What about you? Yeah, I mean, it starts with Germany and ends with Germany. Um, another one I'll say is Poland. Kind of disappointed. Um, Egypt. I, you know, I thought they'd finish third and ha- would give a fight, a run, make a run at second, but obviously fourth is would have to be considered a disappointment. Um, but yeah, uh, I totally agree with Argentina as well. It's good, you know, just to, to, to cite a team that's still in the field even, you know, there's no way to, to, to sugarcoat that. They backed into the round of 16 in miraculous fashion, in thrilling, breathtaking fashion. But, uh, right. yeah, no one could be encouraged by what they've seen. How about, let, let's point out another team maybe that you've seen, Napoon, that's in the field, um, still remaining in the round of 16 that's disappointed you. That's still in the round of 16 that disappointed me? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a good question. Um, I think I'll, I'll have to go with with Argentina. Or did you want a separate one other than the ones that yeah, I've already yeah. named? Yeah. It's hard to say. Uh, I'm looking at it too. And every team's been like, I don't know, like Uruguay hasn't blown me away. Um, I don't know, Spain hasn't really blown me away. Right, right. Spain has had mistakes um, at the back. Uruguay... Has been yeah. poor up front, especially Suarez, Cavani. Given given the talent they have, they they've not done nearly enough. Um, yeah, I I think all of us are. Even though I I pretend that I don't care about Spain, uh, I don't care about Messi versus Cristiano. Ultimately, there is that thing at the back of our minds. And uh, Messi, even though he scored that fantastic goal uh, in the last game. His play overall play has been underwhelming. There's been all kinds of drama off the pitch with the the manager. Um, you know, oh Mexico. Think about Mexico, right? After the Germany game, they were riding such a high, and they got absolutely pummeled in the last game. Absolutely pummeled, and you know, three zero, arguably three zero, flattered them. So it, it's just that's why it's my favorite World Cup in my memories because. There's been so much uh, madness happening. And that leads right into our next question. Which team has surprised you most in this tournament? Surprised me most? Uh, huh. uh, Japan, maybe. I'd say Japan is right up there. I mean, uh, obviously, those of us that follow the Premier League know a couple of their players. Uh, Shinji Kagawa, who's now back in Dortmund, is just an exceptional player. Um but overall, I mean, I don't think many people had Japan getting out of that group. I, I certainly didn't. Uh, and to see them up there uh, has been a surprise. Croatia has, I, I felt Croatia would get out of their group, but no way did I think they would play as well as they have, um, especially in the first two games. So I think those two stand out for me. You? Yeah, I was going to mention Croatia as well. I've been impressed every time I've seen them. Um, they just look very solid, like all over. Um, just very well-rounded, you know. Right. Not like they don't seem to have a glaring weakness or necessarily a glaring strength. They just can kind of do a little bit of everything on both sides of the ball. 
Um, another team that's really impressed me, which you just mentioned, is Mexico. <clears throat> and uh, I'm just going to – my, my hotaki for the day is I'm going to give them a free pass for that third game. You know, they, they did have something to play for, obviously, and they were right. so close to choking there, you know. Um, for a while there, you know, as a, a betting man, occasionally I'll check, like, the live odds just to see what the bookmakers think. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me, even late into that game, um, like, yeah. like 63rd, 65th minute I checked, and um, Germany was still, you had to let, like, a, you had to take them as a two to one favorite still to win in regulation. You know, to, like, you would lose your money back if it remained scoreless. So the odds makers even expected a, a late Germany goal and were, were that confident. So that was a huge upset any way you slice it. And, um, yeah, in, in some ways, Mexico was lucky. But at the same time, you know, they, they, they came in confident, they proved themselves in the first two. And I don't know when you're in first, you look at all these scenarios, but still at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you're kind of just like, well, yeah, but I'm in first right now, you know, so I'm probably going to get through, you know, and not that they were taking the third game lightly, but just mentally, sometimes, you know, like, you know, if you're currently in first heading into the, the third match, that's not right. exactly a back against the wall um, situation is all I'm trying to say. So uh, I'm willing to give Mexico a free pass for that, that, terrible third performance but because i was just so blown away really by the, their first two performances the germany especially the germany that germany game was that yeah just bananas it's it set the tone yeah. for what has been an incredible world cup yeah that that first match pretty much ruined germany they mentally yeah. <laughs> looked distraught you know that's why like think how emotional they were to get that yeah. tony cruz game winner in that exactly. second match I mean, yeah, that looked no, like a team, totally like the weight had been lifted off their shoulders. And, you know, in fact, I was like, oh, man, there's no way they don't go through now. You know, I think a lot of people probably thought that. Right. Um, but, yeah, I don't think that Germany, you know, falling in the third game necessarily takes anything away from Mexico's win either. So, yeah, but I, the way Mexico, they literally just put um, Germany on their heels, you know. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it's so rare to see a team like that, especially it was inspiring to see a CONCACAF team. You know, just say, hey, you know, we're not scared. We're going to play our game. We don't care what, you know, the name on the jersey says. We're just going right. to run at you. We're going to counter with pace. Um, and Germany straight up looked shook. That's the only appropriate word to use. <laughs> Germany was absolutely shook. Um, their back line, unfortunately, remained shook for the entire tournament uh, for, for their sake. But, um, yeah, that was one of the most impressive performances, I think, of the whole tournament for me was that first Mexico-Germany game. Um, yeah, I second Croatia. Um, I've been Denmark, Sweden, and Switzerland. I'm going to just lump them all together and just say mildly impressed with all three. You know, I'm not going to nitpick and think, oh, maybe they could have been a little better here or there. But, you know, they all just, with workmanlike performances, um, right. occasionally brilliant performances, you know, they all do what it takes to get out of the group. So I'm kind of going to lump them together. I think they're all live dogs. Um and just to transition real quick, we'll get back to the Twitter questions. But yeah, looking at the bracket, I feel like that that's the weaker or the more open side of the bracket with um, the one with Spain, Russia, um, England, England, Colombia, Croatia. I think that one's a little more open if I'm Spain or England or any of those teams. I think I like that draw a little bit better than having to go through uh, France and Belgium, Portugal, Uruguay and Brazil and Mexico up top. You know what I mean? Oh, 100 percent. I think you're you're spot on that side of the. Um, that side of the bracket is a much easier place to be, which which is why 
the English media truly is starting to believe that this is their going to be their year. Uh, which I mean, to be fair, they say that every single World Cup, but because of the fact that if they get past Colombia, they're going to play arguably the easy, the winner of the easiest um, match in the round of 16, that's Sweden, Switzerland, and then they probably will end up playing. Uh, my guess is Croatia, who will beat Spain in that side. So you, you, I can see them really not having much of a challenge until the semifinal uh, against Croatia. Um, so, so yeah, it's it's their best shot. It really is. But, but of course, you can't write off uh, Colombia. Uh, the the problem for Colombia being if they don't have a fit James Rodriguez, it's pretty clear that they don't really have a cogent tactical plan. If you take Hamas out of the way, it really becomes entirely dependent on Juan Cuadrado, and I don't think he's consistent enough uh, to to deliver. And Scott's final Twitter question ties right in to what we're just talking about as well, which is, of the teams left, who are you rooting for, and who do you think will win? So I have to admit, I I had a Germany-France final. (laughs) Uh, So much for that. I think out of the remaining teams, uh, I, I, I'll go with France. Uh, I don't think they'll play the best football, but they have enough game changers to to win this. Uh, I think Belgium will fall short, even though they're just unbelievable on paper. Just unbelievable on paper. Um, you hating on Fellaini's <laughs> squad? Well, uh, are my ears that, deceiving me? <laughs> the thing is that you have to you have to understand that Fellaini is the greatest footballer of all time, right? We all we all know this to be true. But the problem is he's surrounded by clowns, people like Kevin De Bruyne and Eden Hazard <laughs> and Lukaku. He can't carry all these idiots on his back. You know what I mean? So is this not going to... Understandable. <laughs> Fellaini just signed him. Uh, uh, if, you, if you want to talk about Twitter meltdown, you should see Manchester United Twitter right now after Fellaini signed a two-year contract. People are losing <laughs> their minds. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, anyway, coming back to your question, I think uh, France uh, is, is probably going to win. What about you? Okay, well, and also any particular team you're rooting for, or what would like to see win or go far? I'd love, you know, I'd love to see England win. I think that, that it is they haven't won since the Sir Bobby Charlton era, you know, in '64, '66, I think is it is is the year they won. Uh, it's been a long time for for that team, and um, they have they've gone through so many iterations, KJ, of of teams that were full of. Uh, People of golden generation, so to speak. You know, we we can go back to the '80s of the '80s and '90s of Shearer and um, and um, uh, what's his face, the the Everton player who who has a problem with drinking. Uh, he, I'm forgetting his <laughs> name right now, but our, list, our listeners will know who I'm talking about. Uh, Gascoigne, there it is, Gascoigne. Uh, you know, we can go to that era. We can go to the Beckham, Woodgate, uh, sorry, Beckham, Ferdinand, Lampard. Skulls, Terry era, uh, they've had so many almost their teams, and they've really never made it past the quarterfinal. I think since that um, since that time in the in the fi- in in the 60s when they won it, I would love to see them win it. I would love to just see this team of young talent, uh, Rashford of the world, and obviously Harry Kane, who's a fantastic forward, arguably the best real striker in the world right now, uh, true striker in the world right now. Um, I would love to see them win, uh, but I don't think they'll get. I don't think they'll get past uh, uh, Colombia, even <laughs> to be honest. So, uh, I would. I think France wins. I would love to see England win. What about you? I'm going with a Belgium Spain final with Belgium winning. Um, totally agree. 
if not Belgium, I think France gets out of that side and then France wins. Uh, I think the yeah. winner is going to come from that bracket. As far as um, my rooting interest, uh, pretty much any team but Brazil, I think, or <laughs> France, or any team but Brazil or France would be what I want to see from that side. Um, I mean, I'd love to see Portugal and Argentina, you know, the two goats, get their title, get their World Cup title. Um, Mexico, I'm not trying to land in Donovan here, out here, but, you know, I would love <laughs> to see them win it. I'm not a hater, so I would love to see them do it. Belgium, I don't think they've ever even made a, a final, right, let alone win. Never even made it to a final, Correct. I think. Correct. They've never made it to the I don't, yeah. I don't know if they've made it to the semifinal, let alone the final. Yeah, so, I mean, if ever they're going to do it, this is the time. And, you know, they've got the team to do it. I think they will, but we'll see. Japan, if they could beat Belgium, get hot, I mean, of course no that way. would be a great story. So who wouldn't If that them? happens, dude, if that happens, that will be the upset of the World Cup. The, those two teams couldn't be more different on paper in terms of their style of football, in terms of the, the massive personnel in both sides. Truly, like... Belgium, I'm, I'm not trying to be dismissive of uh, Japan because I love my Asian teams, but truly this, the, the, the team that Belgium put out in the third game against England, which was basically their entire backup team, would, c- could beat Japan comfortably. So, you know, it, it would be an insane upset. And that's why I guess we love the World Cup, right? Because those insane upsets can happen. But what a story that would be. Yeah, and on the, the other side of the bracket... I'm not really – I'd like to see England win. You know, just I love a good story. I'm not going to cheer for it or really hope for it just because it's so hard to do so. But um, I really – I'd like to see Croatia make some noise simply because sure, I've been sure. – I've just – you know, we've both been so <clears throat> impressed by them. And, I mean, how badass would that be if, you know, Croatia, you know, got to a final or whatever you – know, so I think that would be a great story. Any of those European teams would be a great story. Denmark, Sweden, Switzerland, um, Colombia, I wouldn't mind And to all. be fair, we have, we have a uh, vested interest in Croatia because out of, we, the only player at the World Cup that Soktex has interviewed plays for Croatia, Ivan Rakitic. So, you know, we, we are a, we're true, a true. Rakitic shills out here. <laughs> yeah, so I'd love to see Croatia make noise. Um, it's hard to cheer for Russia. Um, everyone <laughs> cheats, but Why? Like, to be honest, the, that was the most large scale. I mean, it was a state sponsored Pete's right. program. So I'm sorry if there's a team I'm going to hate on, it's Russia. Sorry, Russia. But, uh, yeah, pretty much any team I'm fine with coming out of there. I'd love to see Colombia. Um, I'd be fine. Whoever wins Colombia or, um, England, that first match, if yeah. either of those teams ran to the final, I'd be fine mm-hmm. with that. Spain, I picked them to, to get out and lose to Belgium. Um, I'm not hating on them, but, you know, they got their title, uh, you know, in the bag, uh, what, two World Cups ago? So they got theirs. Right. You know, let someone else get a turn. Let someone else taste the ice cream. Um, so anyway, that wraps it up for our Twitter questions. And before we wrap up, Nipun, um, first of all, to our listeners, we hope you've enjoyed our World Cup coverage. We kind of tried to switch gears, some of the other stuff we cover, give you a little bit more World Cup coverage. So hope you've checked out SockTakes.com and enjoyed some of our work there. Our most recent post you might see up is a top 10 goals from the group phase. So definitely check that out. And we're not going to go through all of them, but just as a good reference point, definitely check that story out. 
And I'll kick it over to you, Napoon, first. Why don't you, um, you don't have to give me a certain number, but maybe a handful, maybe two or three of okay. your, your favorite goals and why you thought they were so ridiculous. So there was the Luka Modric goal from distance. Uh, I love myself a distance strike from a central midfielder. I think that definitely goes in the category. It's perfect technique. Just absolutely drills it. Um, that's on there for me. Um, I will say I'm always a sucker for a late goal from a free kick. So both uh, Cristiano's uh, third goal tying the uh, tying uh, the three game at three three against Spain that goes on there, as well as uh, Tony Cross's uh, as we talked about late game winner uh, that made it two one from the side. That was an incredible strike with incredible technique uh, to score from the area he did. Um, those three pop out at me immediately, uh, and there are some other ones uh, that we can get into if you want to. Yeah, um, and when you check out the the story we have up at the site, you'll see there are top three. Um, our criteria, uh, which I created, so it probably sucks, but it was basically <laughs> um, sheer magnificence combined with degree of difficulty and importance given the situation. So, and then I also said that other factors, like what happened before the goal, like the buildup, a pass, something like that, can also affect, you know, the goal itself. So, um, okay, did you include, and this is a serious question, did you include Mishi Batshui's brilliant finish on there? Whose? Mishi Batshui's brilliant finish against England, where he struck the ball, picked up the ball, struck the ball against the post and hit, his, and hit him in the head and went back into the goal. Oh, no, no. <laughs> That one didn't, you didn't make see the that? cut. One of my friends said that, but I was like, oh. But was that was that off a of PK, though? No, no, no. So what happened was Adnan, no. by the way, Adnan Yanazai's goal was fantastic and should, should probably be on your list. Yes. But no. then what happened was Batshuayi uh, got super excited and he picked up the ball and tried to kick it into the net. But what he did instead was struck the ball onto the post. It hit him in the face and went back into the goal. So... Uh, <laughs> That was absolutely hilarious. And if if you know Mishibachu, he's like a super nice guy, but really struggled. Uh, I guess he's still owned by Chelsea, but I mean, in terms of his Chelsea career per se, he's a, he's on loan now at Dortmund. But uh, is a perfect summary of his English Premier League career is the fact that he couldn't put the ball in the, in the net, even though he was two feet away from the net and had the entire net open to him. He hit the post. It's amazing. You have to watch it. Yeah, I'll definitely have to check that out. On the site, our top three, I went with uh, Messi, number one, Cruz's sure. goal, number oh, two, yeah. and Marcos Rojo's n- number three. Um, like oh, I, that's right. Yeah, and uh, like I said, that factored in importance um, given situation. I tried to be kind of well-rounded when I put that together, but um, truth be told, I'm actually a sucker for just the uh, aesthetics. You know, if it, if it sure. were up to me, it would just be brilliance only and not, you know, not meaning just uh, how it looked. So to not harp on the ones that I ranked in the top three and to, to kind of talk a little bit more about some others, the two that yeah. blew me away, um, uh, Quaresma uh, for Portugal. Yeah. That oh. was so ridiculous. Um, You're absolutely right. And the, the thing the thing with Quaresma, sorry to cut you off, the thing with Quaresma is like people who followed uh, that golden generation of Portuguese footballers, the Nani's, Cristiano, and Quaresma was right up there. People, yeah. people thought... Charisma. So Charisma was was believed to be bigger than Cristiano Ronaldo. That's how highly people rated him. His stepovers, his technique is absolutely second to none. And as you point out, that right foot strike 
with the outside of his foot is oh, it's just magic. So that Quaresma's came in at number four on my list on the site. Um, definitely want to harp on it as number one, I think, for me from aesthetic standpoint. Sure. Um, and one thing I pointed out in, in the article, it's kind of a carbon copy of Dennis Cherishev's. He had a similar outside of the foot bender. His also made my list and blew me away, but I put Quaresma's a little bit higher but, just because... Um, because you're, yeah, because you think Cherishev is on drugs. I got it. <laughs> Yeah, anyway, um, <laughs> you heard it here first. Um, but yeah, what I said is uh, I think Quaresma's was just, um, it was a little bit farther out and had just a little bit more swerve. So he got the slight edge in the rankings. The other one that blew me away, of course, you got to talk about nachos. Uh, one of my friends actually commented Shit. who is not a hardcore soccer fan, like, a, you know, fair weather, follows international, not too much domestic leagues. Um, but he commented to me, that it was the the hardest hit shot, you know, the most well struck sure. with the most velocity he had ever seen, which I didn't agree with, but uh, still, a rip's a rip. Um, he completely just ripped a volley, um, kind of turned, um, got on top of it even a little bit, you know, like a slight a slight side volley, I guess you could maybe even call it, but um, just turns through it, blasts it just straight in. I believe it hit the post too, it hit the far post and in. I mean. Just as perfect as you can get. Goalkeeper had no chance whatsoever. So, yeah, with uh, with importance or meaning thrown out the window, I really love seeing those. Those are the ones where I just got out of my seat and was just like, oh, my God, you know, where like your, your co-worker, if you have, you'll have headphones on in public and people think that you have a mental disorder or something, you know, or you're talking to yourself. But, um, <laughs> yeah, for me, those, those were the two moments that really just blew me away. But there were so many great goals. Anyway, definitely check out that post at Sock Takes. Let us know in the comments. Let us know on Twitter whether or not you uh, you like our list, you hate our list. Um, I thought about putting an honorable mention, but I next thing I knew, I had like 10 more goals on there. So I was like, screw it. I'll just let people cut me up. And, you know, how'd you leave Modric's <laughs> goal off there? You know, And I agree. You know? Um, I wish I could have added 10 more on there because there were plenty more. Uh, Erickson's was a beauty. Um, your boy Lingard, his was a beauty too. Um, Jesse, Jesse always. Just that's Jesse's specialty is that goal. He scores one of those. He'll miss a sitter. He'll miss a goal like from five feet away, but he'll score those like one every three or four games. Yeah. So anyway, tons of Galazos in the group phase. We're about to get out of here, Nipun. Do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up? No, this is the best World Cup in my memory. I'm loving every minute, and tomorrow is going to be. By the time you listen to this, uh, we will have watched I think two of the best games in the World Cup. That's. Uruguay, uh, Portugal at 2 p.m. Eastern time. And then the 10 a.m. kickoff is going to be magic. Uh, France versus Argentina. Oh, I can't wait. That's our show for you. That is my co-host, Nipun Chopra. I'm your host, Kevin Johnston. Big thanks to our sponsor, Roughneck Scarves, official scarf supplier of MLS, USL, and U.S. soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. This was episode 52, and we will be back with another episode of the Sock Takes Pod next week. Until then, everyone be well, get out there, and enjoy watching the World Cup.